Welcome to The Kitchen Stories, produced by the Jewish Museum and Archives of BC. I'm your host, Michael Schwartz. Thanks for joining us. When we think of Jewish families in North America, we generally assume that most arrived here in the 1950s, after the Second World War, fleeing places like Germany, Poland, and the Ukraine. But this is only a small piece of the picture. For centuries, many Jews lived in predominantly Islamic countries throughout the Middle East, North Africa, and Spain. These are Sephardic Jews. Their brethren, originated in Eastern Europe, are known as Ashkenazi. In the tumult of the interwar period, the Second World War, and especially in the years following the establishment of Israel in 1948, Sephardic Jews were made to feel unwelcome in the countries that they had called home for generations. This sparked a great migration, with Sephardic Jews scattering to places as far apart as Argentina and India. On today's episode, we learn about this history through two women whose families took circuitous routes before eventually settling in Vancouver. As always, food plays an essential role in helping them maintain a connection to their past. My parents came to Vancouver in 1949 to escape the communist revolution in China. That's Diane Jacobs. Diane hails from a mixed background of migration across Iraq and China. She currently lives in the California Bay Area and has been working as a food writer for 20 years. It was nice to grow up in Vancouver. It was a good place to do so. I've been married for 27 years. My husband's family is Ashkenazi. His mother had never met a Jew who did not speak Yiddish and who was not Ashkenazi. And she asked me why I didn't speak Yiddish, so I asked her why she didn't speak Arabic. Both sides of the family are from Iraq. The head of the Jewish community left Iraq and moved to India, started an opium business, employed my paternal grandfather at the age of 13, uh, one of many clerks working for him because he was also an Orthodox man and they spoke Judeo-Arabic. He wanted to continue his culture and his traditions in India, so he brought over a lot of boys, and they all observed Shabbat together and spoke Judeo-Arabic. There was persecution in Iraq of Jews, which is why they left. I'm not quite as clear on my mother's side. On my mother's side, my grandfather was born in India. I think they were not in India for very long. They just, uh, they were en route to Hong Kong, I think, to work for another Sassoon. The Sassoons were the Rothschilds of the Middle East. They were super wealthy Iraqi Jews. So my father's side went to India to work with Victor Sassoon in his opium business, and my mother's side went to work with David Sassoon in Hong Kong. Uh, my mother's family, I think my grandfather didn't like working for David Sassoon in Hong Kong, and he re relocated the family in Shanghai. When my parents were born, they were born into a big tribe of mm -hmm. grandparents and lots of aunts and uncles and lots of cousins. Mm -hmm. They all lived together 
Shanghai, in, which was controlled by the British. The entire Ezekiel family, which is my mother's name, they moved to Vancouver because they were uh, British subjects because their father had been born in Bombay. As I said, India was under the Raj. The Raj was the rule of the British crown in India from 1858 to 1947. So it was easier for them to move to Canada, and then eventually they all moved back to the States, except for my parents. From a Jewish standpoint, um, you know, my parents prayed at home at first. They tried going to the Ashkenazi synagogues, but it was just too different for them. They didn't fit in. They grew up in Shanghai speaking English among themselves, speaking Arabic to their elders, speaking Shanghainese on the street, and speaking pidgin to their servants. So when you come into a community where people are Eastern European and used to speaking Yiddish, that just doesn't really work. Then gradually they found a community of Mizrahi Jews. Mizrahi literally translates to Eastern. Mizrahi Jews are those whose lineage traces back to the Babylonian and mountain Jews of the biblical era. They lived in a region that today covers territory from Syria to Pakistan. At first they met for the high holidays in the kindergarten of the Jewish Community Center. Eventually they formed a synagogue. My father was one of the founders and they were Jews from India, Morocco, Egypt, China. We were all the outcasts, I guess. Congregation Beth Hamidrash, a Sephardic synagogue in Vancouver. Do you feel like growing up that um, the kind of flavors that you grew up having came from all these different pathways? Well, well, first of all, when they were growing up in Shanghai, the food was all made by servants. Mm -hmm. Because in Shanghai, you could have a very nice middle class life with right. a lot of servants that time as a foreigner. Mm -hmm. You know, the servants were taught to make Indian Jewish food and Iraqi Jewish food, and they also made British food mm -hmm. and uh, Chinese food. So oh, wow. um, when they came to Shanghai, there weren't any more servants, and they had no idea how to cook. And they, my mother said they lived on sardines and matzah for the first three years. There were certain foods that didn't translate well. For example, there are dumplings that go into the Iraqi stews that where the, the casing is made with semolina, but there was no semolina in China, mm. so they made it with rice. What is semolina? It's a, it's a type of flour. Oh, okay. It's usually cracked. It's cracked wheat, so oh. maybe it's similar to, um, you know, bulgur. They also made uh, Iraqi stews with bamboo shoots, but everyone did it, apparently. Um, I, I was on a stage a few years ago t with a woman <clears throat> who grew up in Shanghai in a Jewish family, and she said that her family used bamboo shoots, too, and it was a normal thing. Eventually, I think for them it was about their cultural identity, that they were sort of lost in Vancouver, that they didn't fit in with all the other Jews, and they needed to remember who they were. So they started cooking, recreating the foods that they grew up with. You know, they would go to the Indian store and buy mango pickle. They also made their own sauce with fenugreek 
So it was confusing for me as a kid because I knew that we were Iraqi, but finally I remember asking my mother, why are we eating all this curries and hot stuff? <laughs> so she had to explain it to me. Well, my mother was in her 20s. My father was in his 30s when they left. So they'd spent a great deal of time in Shanghai. They also, they missed the street foods, um, but they were very limited in what they could eat from the street foods being kosher. So my, they missed the, the roasted sweet potatoes and the roasted chestnuts. There's a... Daping yijiao, which is basically fried bread inside bread. It doesn't sound good to you? No, fried, fried bread inside bread. But they would rhapsodize about that for hours. Yeah. And they could find that the yijiao is the, the Chinese crawler. They could find that in Chinatown. So that was good for my mom. But they couldn't find the daping that went around it. I imagine it must have been difficult for them to have access to kosher materials in Vancouver at that time. My mother didn't eat red meat, so we ate a lot of chicken and some fish. And for the chickens, my, my dad would take me to Chinatown, and uh, I got to watch the Chinese butchers slit the necks of the chickens and hang them upside down for the blood to drain. Mm. And then they would um, pack them up, and we packed up some feathers for pillowcases. <laughs> then they would take them into the basement with the Bunsen burner and burn off the pin feathers. And really, I remember the stench of that in the house. When you were taken to Chinatown as a young person, it was very bustling and there was a lot of trade and business going on. Yeah, it was, you know, familiar to my parents. We went all the time. They loved it. And my mother would root around in the ash chest for her thousand-year-old eggs and we would have lunch afterwards. So they would cheat, you know, sometimes. My mother would allow herself to eat chicken chow man outside. <laughs> Yeah. And we would go to Japantown also, right. which doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. It was in a really bad part of town. What I remember particularly was a bakery where you could pick out the different kinds of mochi, which were my favorite thing as a kid, and they would wrap them up in pink boxes tied with string. My mother made her own udon noodles for Japanese food. She made sukiyaki and an electric skillet. And she also made Chinese food, but it wasn't it wasn't the kind of Chinese food that we ever saw on menus in Chinatown. This one dish that my mother used to make for us that we loved, that was basically sticky rice. It was cooked and then fried, and mm -hmm. we would eat it fried in squares. That would be a special treat for breakfast or for dinner, oh, covered yeah. in sugar. Very exciting when you're a kid, because the, <laughs> the outside was crispy and the inside was creamy. So delicious. I still make that, but not very often. Destroys the stove. But it warms the soul. <laughs> Indeed. I have some recipes from my mom, but she made a few Western things. So if you asked her for a chocolate chip cookie, she could give you the recipe for that. But if you asked her for anything that she made, you know, from the old country, you would get a partial list of ingredients and that would be it. <laughs> yeah. My whole family never thought of us as Arabs. Mm -hmm. um, we were Jews and that was it, you know. Usually within a half an hour, I am, I am declared Chinese by a Chinese person. <laughs> I've always felt like the other. I'm an oddity. It's been a real struggle to figure out where to go for high holidays and Yom Kippur, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm.
do you find that food is also a way to connect? Yes. It's one of the reasons that, that I decided to become a food writer. Mm-hmm. And it's a very easy way into a culture. It's easy to oversimplify it and think that you know the culture through their food. You don't, but it's a starting point for a lot of people. My degree is in journalism, so I was mostly an editor for most of my career. Newspapers, magazines, covered a lot of different topics, and I thought, well, if there's one topic that I really want to cover, what is it? And I decided it was food. I never really realized the depths of my parents' obsession with food. But for them, it was all about food as identity and grief and longing and belonging. We sat down to talk with Hazel Stevens, who lives in Vancouver. Much like Diane, Hazel's family background features a Sephardic upbringing that differs from the common Jewish migration stories of Europe to Canada. Hazel was born in 1927, and her family moved from Iraq to the Indian province of Bangalore in the early 1920s. We were not welcomed in Europe or in England because of the Jewish hatred. So we fled to India, and my father and his uncle decided to go to Bangalore, which is South India and it has an equatorial climate, equal day and equal night, and every day is the same. And you only get in the month of um, June rain. Two of my sisters were born in Baghdad, and I was born in India, in Bangalore. So this is what my father said what happened. He had a big store in Baghdad. And the fellow said, I'm your best friend. Tomorrow they're coming to kill you and take your store away. So give me your store. So he packed his two children and some of our relatives. We went to Iran and whatever money we had, we closed the store. Iran helped us with our passport and we went to different parts of India. Uh, we lived together in a, in a two-room place. And my father and didn't know Indian language and he didn't know English and only Arabic. My mother worked day and night. I don't know if she was about 15 and having 19 children. They shut off the water. You don't have a regular water in India. You have to save your water. And I know when I went to Baghdad, during Passover, you have to really sterilize all your dishes. And there's old Baghdad and new Baghdad. During uh, Pesach, the Arabs would switch off our, our water, so we'd have no water. Uh, newcomers, Sephardics uh, who are coming, we know that they all have a plight and we have to help them. And newcomers come, my father and my cousin will find them a store and we'll give them our half, loan them half our goods and money and uh, you do it with a shake hand. Now the food is um, Mediterranean food. The one is called pesuli. It's uh, green beans 
all cut up. Then you make rice balls, and then you stuff it with chicken. Then you uh, put a lot of tomato juice in it and uh, a bit of chicken fat. Put some spices, and then there you have those rice meatballs. Hashwa. Hashwa is uh, for Saturday. You skin the whole chicken and you get the shell of the skin and then you st- stuff that with rice and pieces of chicken meat inside and some spices and you make two of that and then you put sliced tomatoes at the bottom and then you put this chicken stuffing. You know the skin? The skin has a lot of nutrition, fat, and you call that hashwa. And I remember when I went to Baghdad, everyone says, how did your hashwa turn out? Uh, my daughter and children, they love it. And uh, we don't make it, we now, you know, she's been, they've been here for over 50 years and she's so joyful with the oven. We had no uh, ovens, we had no um, stoves. It was all on the floor, earthenware. There's charcoal there burning and you lay it on top and on top this the cover is like a basin and you put in about 10 or 12 eggs how many children you have on top cover it it's on all night you have your breakfast in the morning well during the war uh, we had uh, our store was called g moses and the other one was reuben moses and every time um, the soldiers would pass by and they see the sign, they say, is there a shul? I didn't know what a shul meant. He says, synagogue. I said, yes. And I said, um, you're welcome to come to our home anytime. So when the soldiers came, they would tell the servants how to cook American food. Every Friday night, they were welcome to come for prayers and they would come about 20 or 30. And would come and uh, we had two or three servants and uh, my mother would cook. And they liked the hashwa, you know, that skin. And uh, we never tasted cakes or ice creams. We gave them fresh fruits. You had hundreds of varieties of fruits. I married a Britisher. The captains and the colonels all had good food and they didn't give such good food to the privates. With Americans, they all ate well. All of them ate the same and they would invite uh, girls to come to the barracks for dances. Of course, we weren't allowed. We weren't allowed to talk to any boys. The best part is, we opened a synagogue for both American and British Jews. We didn't want them to be separated, we wanted them to be one. Then there is something else all the Jews will know, the Sephardic Jews will know, and it's called Hamad in Arabic. And it's made with lady fingers and you all call it okra. It's a slimy vegetable. The Britishers call it ladies' fingers. So, <laughs> and you put some lemon juice in it and some chicken, and uh, we hated it. It was so slimy. <laughs> we liked the servants' food. We didn't like uh, my mother's food. A very nice dish called kubba burger. 
It's made with bulgur cracked wheat. Oh, bulgur, yeah. yeah. The cracked wheat is uh, soaked with water and mixed with ground chicken. Then uh, you make a ball and stuff it with chicken and raisins and almonds and then make it into a flat thing and you boil it and then fry it. And oh. that's delicious. You know, we make everything with volume. We were laughing when we first came to Canada. I said, do you know how they make chicken? They take the chicken and they push it in the oven, the whole chicken. And we were laughing because we never had an oven. And when we make our chicken, we cut it into pieces and spice it. And then you steam it up and it tastes so nice and juicy. And we never tasted cakes or ice cream because no fridge. When we all left India, nobody had a filling. No, nobody tasted candies, or, mm-hmm. and the Americans would bring us candies. We never tasted Baby Ruth. We were laughing at them when they had canned peanuts, because peanuts are all on the road. Join us next time for the second installment of this episode, where we continue with the theme of faraway foods. We find out what kind of meals were important when growing up Jewish in South Africa, as well as tales from a Jewish upbringing in an English Christian boarding school. The Kitchen Stories is produced by the Jewish Museum and Archives of BC, with support from the Jewish Federation of Greater Vancouver, the Jewish Community Foundation, the Government of Canada, the Province of British Columbia, and the City of Vancouver. Reporting, production, and editing is by April Thompson, with assistance from Elisa Lazier and myself, Michael Schwartz. Audio mastering is by Jeff Mayer. We'd like to thank everyone who participated in today's episode and generously set aside time to share their stories with us. Subscribe to The Kitchen Stories on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. New episodes will be released every two weeks from now until September. If you like the work we do, please consider becoming a sponsor. Community contributions make possible all the projects undertaken by the Jewish Museum and Archives of BC. To learn more about sponsoring an episode or another JMABC project, contact info at jewishmuseum.ca. The Kitchen Stories is part of the JMABC series Feeding Community, a collection of food programs offered through the summer of 2017. If you've enjoyed today's episode, consider signing up for a session of the Chosen Food Supper Club, a series of dinners hosted by some of the guests featured in this podcast. The Chosen Food Supper Club occurs on Sunday evenings through the spring and summer of 2017, with each session showcasing one style of Jewish cuisine, from a traditional South African barbecue to a Syrian Rosh Hashanah feast. Sign up today at jewishmuseum.ca. The Chosen Food Supper Club is made possible through the support of InstaFund. Thanks for joining us. 